start with like a question again. Okay, start with the question. What is maybe one of the earliest fantasies you can remember having? It's a weird one. We're here to get weird. We're here to get weird. Um, the earliest fantasy I can remember. Oh, God, this is so embarrassing. I kind of had a thing for <laughs> like robots. <laughs> Uh-huh. And oh, this is so fucking embarrassing. I had a thing for robots. I think robots are like kind of hot. Uh huh. And I remember Daft Punk being on the cover of Rolling Stone or GQ or something. Probably Rolling Stone. And they had on like really nice suits and helmets. And that was like the biggest turn on ever. But they, like, didn't have faces. They just had helmets on. And I think then is when I realized, like, this is how I like my men. Just don't talk. Just don't have a face. <laughs> just dress nice and don't talk to me. And don't even be human. Just be a robot that I can program. <laughs> I, well, you want to hear something interesting. Yes, always. Uh, I have had fantasies about being, like, a sex robot. Really? Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> meant to be we're meant to be meant to be fucking each other well I was thinking it might be interesting to start talking about like our individual journeys towards like fulfilling sex or I think it'd be really interesting to unpack kind of I don't think we'd be able to do like a thorough job in one kind of sitting, but to kind of start unpacking um, like kink and fantasy and shame mm. um, and how, you know, the, the society, this like puritanical society that we were raised in um, affects our connection to our own sexuality mm-hmm. and how that you know, led to us, both of us, not realizing we were queer until later. Mm-hmm. And just, like, unpacking how fantasy is informative about what kinds of things... I don't know where I was going with that, but I think fantasy is just, like, an interesting... Fantasy, kink, fetish, all of that is kind of a fascinating topic to me that I think would be interesting to talk to you about, too. All right, well, we can start with the journey to satisfying sex. Let's start with you, <laughs> sexy one. I, so I, we've talked about, I, I started puberty when I was eight or nine. I was kind of hypersexualized from that point on, like, by the time I was 12, I was fully grown, you know, had hips and breasts and I was cute, I guess, for a girl and fully grown men would be looking at me and I had hormones and I lived in compet society. So I thought I just was looking for a boy and a lot of my early experiences were I would say probably pretty typical in that the guys were teenage boys. They didn't really know how to make it good. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, when I was 19, I met someone, I was like 19, 20, 
I met someone that to this day pretty much is the only like more or less purely sexual connection that I had. Like we hung out and didn't have sex sometimes, you know, but he was, he was able to just like do stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think looking back, like I wanted to be able to do that. I Mm. wanted to be able to just be like, I'm going to make you come your brains out now. Let us proceed, you know, and then, like, handle it. But, like, I don't know that he really had very much in the way of, like, aftercare. Mm. Or maybe I just wasn't feeling emotionally connected to him. And I realized, you know, I think in my late 20s that I was maybe queer. (laughs) But I was, you know, married to a man. And I had never, the thought had never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind. Like, I didn't know I was queer. I didn't know I was non-binary. I didn't know any of that. Like, it just wasn't on my radar. But when I came out, I realized I needed to have, you know, some emotional connection Mm -hmm. in order for it to feel, like, good and not just, like, a performance Like, I had experiences when I first came out that we've talked about, you know, like, a butch showing up at my house with a bag full of dicks and just, like, (laughs) ready to service me and just feeling very serviced, like, almost Mm. as if I'd gotten, like, a pelvic exam or something. It just was really, like, I identify as a service top, but I don't. My approach isn't service-like mm-hmm. in terms of, like, just doing my job, you know? <laughs> I'm, like, very into wanting to make it feel good and not just, like, I know how to do the things and so I'm just going to do the things and then, you know, mm-hmm. I want it to feel, like, connected mm-hmm. and fulfilling and... After I came out for a while, I thought maybe I was stone, um, a stone butch, because I was very much more interested in touching than being touched. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, looking back, I think some of that had to do with my body. You know, I didn't, it was the first time in my life I felt like I didn't have to let someone touch my body like penetrate me someone touching my breasts like I didn't have to have sex that way and that was a revelation for Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. and so being able to have to begin to start having the kind of sex that felt safer and more enjoyable for me really started after coming out as queer Mm. um you know when I met like my first girlfriend she was a service switch and that was a that was a pretty interesting combination because she was just very open to whatever I was exploring Mm. just very non-judgmental in terms of what was you know what I found sexy or you know and that was a really good learning experience for me Um, You know, we obviously had other issues that got in the way of 
it being a, a good relationship, mm-hmm. you know. But that part of it was really nice because it was an education. It was an opening for me to start exploring mm-hmm. and become the person that I wanted to be in terms of sex. And then, but I still didn't like being touched. Mm. And then with my ex, my most recent ex, I, as a service top, you know, had to get to the place of accepting that she got off on getting me off as well. And so, like, that I had to, not like had to, but I I felt myself, like, kind of come to terms with that and mm-hmm. to, in order to be open to that. Because, like, I love going down on people if, if they like doing it too. Like, am mm-hmm. I so shocked? Like, <laughs> why can I not believe that other people would enjoy it, you know, mm-hmm. as much as I do? I am the only one who <laughs> wants their face to be a seat. I don't believe that. I know it's not true because my Instagram feed <laughs> is full of it. <laughs> but I think it wasn't. You know, it was it was building up to what I feel like we have, which is just a really, so far, fun and open, like, communication-wise and, like, kind of just being open to each other and, like, what we're into and figuring that out together and, like, having fun together mm-hmm. and not taking everything so seriously and intensely, you know, like, I didn't really feel like I could be as playful with other people as I feel like I can be with you Mm. and still feel like we're, like, in sexy times. Yeah. You know, sometimes it breaks the mood, but sometimes it doesn't. And I think that that's really refreshing and have really enjoyed being able to explore more of myself with you mm-hmm. and have it be welcomed enthusiastically is really it's, it's good stuff I mean it is like the, just to be able to be like what about this and you're like let's try it and I'm like <laughs> yeah like let's try it <laughs> like, I love that that's pretty fun so being raised Seventh-day Adventist, which is like a really strict, very ritual-based religion that is very steeped in white supremacy. I grew up in toxic purity culture. The church I went to was a black Seventh-day Adventist church. There were no white members, and I went there most of my childhood, but they still subscribed to white supremacy in certain ways. Evangelical Christianity is white supremacy, even in a black church. And when I left that church and kind of went on this guilt-ridden church journey, trying to find a church home because I thought I would go to hell if I didn't go to some church, let me just find one that's not as oppressive as the Seventh-day Adventist church. So I found like one of the cool churches non-denominational ones where the pastor wears jeans <laughs> and there's a band with guitars not just an organ <laughs> does he like sit in the chair backwards and get real with you oh yeah and then they do like the 
the white evangelical Christian pastor cadence, like when they're preaching, where they talk really high, really intensely, and then slow it down. It gets really emotional. Like I went to one of those churches where I was one of like two black people in the church. And I realized like, oh, it's the same. Everything about this church that's packaged differently is the exact same at its core as the other really oppressive church that I went to. But in this one, I'm the minority and I'm the Jezebel and I'm the one who can't get anything right because I'm the only one that looks like me. I'm the only one that's shaped like me. And a lot of those non-denominational evangelical churches are very young and they really target basically kids that are fresh out of high school going into college because they want to marry them off as young as possible. And when you're the only girl of color in that kind of culture, you just kind of accept that you're, you're not going to be the one that any of the boys want to date. You're going to be the one that they're going to try to fuck but you're not going to be the one that they're going to try to date or marry. I went to and I just always felt like I got it wrong. My clothing was always wrong, was always too tight or too low or too this or too that. And I always had sit-down conversations with the older women in the church about how I'm making my brothers in Christ stumble because of how I was shaped, because of my hair being too distracting, my lips being too distracting, the shape of my body, like everything I could not control was like a moral issue and then having ADHD and autism on top of that and not knowing and being socially awkward. I always felt like I had like demons all the time because they made me feel like that all the time. There's just always this guilt that my body is something to be ashamed of. Yeah. And it's something that guys will want to use but not want to be seen with or not want to claim as a partner, girlfriend, whatever. And I just kind of grew up thinking that about myself. I'm someone guys want to fuck and that's it. Fuck and toss aside. And that was my reality for most of my 20s. Dating and, and all of that. And also leaving the church without deconstructing. And then going into the non-church world with that baggage. You just have fucked up ideas about dating and love and sex and relationships. Because you still think that men are the prize when you don't deconstruct Christianity. So yeah, I'm just kind of set up. I was just set up for failure, set up for bad sex, because also Christianity teaches girls, women and girls, that you don't have autonomy over your body. Your body is the number one thing to be ashamed of. It's a, it's a threat to men's virtue, your existence. If a man looks at you in an impure way, it's your fault. So, yeah, you're not really taught to respect your body or to set boundaries or to have autonomy. And then you're also taught that you're supposed to gatekeep your body. But then the second you get married, all bets are off. Your body isn't yours anymore. It belongs to some man. You're not taught about sex or pleasure or consent or it's okay for sex to feel good. You're taught that masturbation is wrong and sinful and you're going to go to hell if you do it. If you have any kind of attraction to anyone, that's a sin until you're married and then suddenly some switch turns off and you're supposed to just be this like vixen in the sheets all of a sudden after thinking your body was disgusting the entire time until a ring is on your finger. So I just always thought I was gross. And then when I did start dating and hooking up and having sex, which I kind of went, I went through a hoe phase which wasn't even that satisfying because I wish I knew it was crew then. 
(laughs) (laughs) But I had a lot of sex. I had a lot of partners. And I'm not, I wasn't proud of that then. I'm still not really now because I was masking through most of it. I was faking orgasms a lot because I learned really quickly that if a man has sex with me and I don't enjoy it and I say that or I suggest something that would feel better to me, it's going to hurt his ego. And that's a problem to fuck with a man's ego at all. It can mean not being safe. It can Mm -hmm. mean danger. Like even bringing toys into the mix was a problem with some guys because they felt that they should be enough for me. So then I, I just learned to fake it. Like the theatrics were all they were really after. <laughs> and it wasn't a confirmation that the sex is good for me. That just kind of stroked their ego to be enthusiastic about it. It had nothing to do with me or what felt good for me. And then throwing sexual assaults and having been raped into the mix. It just, I never really enjoyed sex. And for a while I thought, I was asexual, but I still had sexual urges, so I didn't quite understand that either. Which is a thing. Yeah, that is a thing. And I thought I was demisexual. I might be, because having an emotional, intellectual con- connection with someone is a turn-on, or at least it, I'm able to experience sexual attraction once that's established first. Maybe it's not the turn-on, but it helps yeah but establishing a mental emotional connection with a guy in the dating scene when you kind of know what their intentions are and i think our society kind of coaches men and boys the tricks of the trade with pretending your intentions are one thing Mm -hmm. to get to sex yeah and then dropping the mask and cutting and running That's sort of the modern dating thing. And when you're a girl and you're young and you're autistic and don't expect everyone to be lying to you, you are kind of gullible sometimes. You think people are telling you the truth. It's bad. It's bad. I think among women and girls, autistic girls and girls with ADHD tend to be raped and sexually assaulted in a much higher rate than neurotypical women and girls. Um, And it's usually rape by coercion or rape by deception. You're doing things you wouldn't normally do had you known the truth about that person's intention, which is rape, but it's like socially acceptable, which is awful. And I feel like a lot of my earlier sexual experiences were exactly that. Rape by coercion, being guilted into it, being manipulated into it. So, yeah, I I don't have a lot of memories of, like, really satisfying, fun sex. Like, not even in relationships because, again, compet and autism and masking. Mm -hmm. I also had one queer sexual experience, which I really did the mental gymnastics to convince myself, no homo, it's not gay. (laughs) Totally no homo. Um, which is full homo. (laughs) Yeah. My, my orgy experience, I think I told you about my 26th birthday, gayest thing ever, but 
I convinced myself that I'm not a lesbian. I'm not gay. I'm a queer pan. No way. I mean, such a thing as like something happening, I think that I wouldn't say necessarily one experience a gay makes, you know? Mm-hmm. The fact that you enjoyed it a lot, you know. Also wasn't sober. Right. Like, they're... So, you know, like, people try stuff and discover it is or isn't for them. Doesn't, you know... So one experience, I don't think, means that you are necessarily gay. But all the experiences you've had with me definitely (laughs) seem to suggest... something of that nature yeah uh so you're my first sober queer experience my first non-man first queer relationship pretty gay Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of firsts with you a lot of really fun firsts with you it's just so easy with you it's just so easy and comforting and warm and nice and safe and I'm not triggered I was worried that I might dissociate having sex with you and I haven't not one time that's good and we go for hours and hours (laughs) (laughs) we have a part-time job schedule of I think one time we hit like seven hours Mm -hmm. I was present the whole time (laughs) Me too. Mentally present the whole time. And when I think about the last man I had sex with, my ex-boyfriend, we'll call him Schmeagle. <laughs> I dissociated a couple seconds in, and I know I was just like a starfish, just laid out, not even in my body. And I kind of like snapped back into the present moment. And I distinctly remember it was dark in my room. My TV was on, so it was kind of like blue. Mm-hmm. It was like this blue backlight to my room. And we were like forehead to forehead. And I came to and just saw his eyes looking directly into mine. And just, he was having the time of his life. And I wasn't even mentally fully there. Yeah. And I'm looking at him and I'm starting to turn my head to the side and like I just can't even. I can't even. Like my hands are on his chest. I'm trying to kind of like push him off of me. And my, I'm like squinting and grimacing. And he's just having the fucking time of his life. And it was that moment where I was like never again. I think I'm done dating. I'll go back to being celibate again. I don't ever want to feel like this again. This feels, I know it's not rape. I guess that he's a whole other episode, but it's, I just, I don't ever want to do this again. If this is what the rest of my life with men is going to be like, I'm good. And I decided to not date again. And then one day I opened my OkCupid after months of not checking it and saw you in there. <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I was, I was done. I was just going to do the spinster thing and just start collecting cats. I got two cats <laughs> right after that. I was ready to start my life as an old, lonely, bitter lady that was going to die alone. 
is ready for it. Well, I mean, don't let me stand in your way if you want. <laughs> if, you, if you'd rather. No, I'm happy now. I read that oh, my great friend who, like, they were kind of connecting the dots a little more than I was even. And they sent me a link to the lesbian master doc, which I don't identify as lesbian. But reading that thing really opened my eyes to like, ooh, I'm definitely not straight, even a little bit. Never have been. I think there's like a checklist of things that you can kind of check in with yourself to see where you stand, like if you're questioning. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me to unpack compulsory heterosexuality and how much that's been a huge part of my development as a woman and like my understanding of love and relationships and men and attraction and all of that. I really needed to see that and it really helped me. I don't like men. I really don't. I'm not... I just don't. (laughs) Patriarchy, like, really sucks. And I understand patriarchy sucks for everyone. And I know not all men. I'm going to say that one time and literally never say it again. (laughs) Um, But my personal experiences with men, from my father to my most recent boyfriend and everyone in between, in my personal experience, those interactions have not been safe. They have not been helpful. They have not informed anything positive in my life. They have not helped me think any better about men in general. I don't want to paint all men with the same brush. But when I say men, I'm talking about the ones that I know, the ones that I've interacted with, the ones that have made me feel unsafe and have harmed me and have not been great. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. I feel like meeting you, I was ready for something different than I have had before. And so even if you're not my first queer relationship, like this is, I feel like the first healthy queer or healthy relationship in general that I've been in where I'm not, my nervous system isn't activated. I don't feel like I'm on edge around you. And I feel like that leaves so much more energy Mm. to just be able to enjoy each other. And I feel like kink was kind of... I started reading... uh, Did you ever hear the website Literatica? Mm -mm. I feel like it was like fanfiction.net before (laughs) fanfiction was really... Anyway, um... There were just, like, a lot of them were short stories about sex, and I started reading them when I was, like, 13, 14. So I started reading some kinky shit, like, pretty early on. And romance novels written for adults and things, starting in sixth grade. Uh, You know what I was doing in sixth grade? (laughs) (laughs) We had basic cable, and what I would do... Let's go up to, like, the really high channels. Remember the Spice channel? (laughs) It's, like, channel 99. And it was porn, but it was, like, scrambles. (laughs) But if your antenna was pointed the right way, the scrambles weren't as bad. Mm. (laughs) So I watched scramble porn as a kid. Well, I saw stuff like Showgirls and, like, 
Red Shoe Diaries was mm. a show that was on that. for a while. Um, and, like, MTV's, remember their sex, like, show that they had that was, like, short, kind of, like, episodes about different what was, couples. What was that show called? I remember exactly yeah. what you were talking about. Stuff like that just kind of really you know, uh, informed a lot. And once I got into fanfic, like, I was really exposed to a lot of different kinks and just realized, like, well, there are some that are really not for me. I'm I'm mostly pretty non-judgmental. And, like, I think there aren't many things that I wouldn't be up for trying if my partner was like, this is something I want to try, and I think it'd be really hot, potentially. I'd be like, okay, let's give it a go and see. Very few things that I think I'd be like, meh, it's not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really taboo as a subject for a lot of people, and there's a lot of shame around it. Mm-hmm. So... Do you feel like it's been hard to talk about your fantasies in past relationships because they'd get threatened or... Um, it was never... There was never any curiosity about my fantasies or what I wanted to do. My dating and sexual history is mostly made up of white men, not because I have a preference, but... I feel like being born and raised here in the Pacific Northwest, there aren't a lot of people of color out here. And the few that are out here, like, don't desire black women. There's, like, a whole thing of a lot of black men just, like, not being interested in black women. And a lot of other races of men also just not being interested in black women, specifically dark-skinned black women. Um, White guys were just... If I open any online dating app and set up an account within a couple of days, I will have hundreds of inbox messages, mostly from just white dudes. And a lot of those intro messages start with the question, do you like white guys? I've never been with a black woman. I'm so into black women, which is, it reads kind of fetishy. Like I'm a bucket list item that they want to check off kind of thing. So a lot of my... Uh, sexual experiences and dating experience have been with white men and when they're coming into a sexual situation with me it's usually with the mindset of they're playing out a fantasy of theirs yeah and their fantasy doesn't include centering my pleasure or what i need right that's a shame you're one of two people that have asked me what i would like or what I would want to try. Mm-hmm. And I said the both I said the same thing in both scenarios. And you're the only one that didn't like shrug it off or dismiss it or think it was gross. And that thing mm-hmm. <laughs> is fisting. Fisting. Which I felt so ashamed of after, you know the first person's reaction. Yeah. And then I'm like totally underwhelmed (laughs) not in like 
you not were in an very, insulting way, you were like, but like okay, and <laughs> it was like that's the thing. You're like okay, because you were like you know they thought I was too kinky, and I was like hit me like what <laughs> do you do you want like a robot a, a robot dick? <laughs> Because we can make that. And we can order one for sure. We can, I can. We can name it Zipsorp. <laughs> <laughs> I can uh, role play like a, a robot for your pleasure. Oh my god. That'd be wonderful. Robotic for my pleasure. Ooh, fisting. Um, That's fun. I like it. It's a lot. It is a lot. But I, like I mean, you get, like, almost wristed. I get elbowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had only done it once before. And it was, you know, it was amazing because the person's reaction was so big. Like, soaking the entire bed. I feel like a gallon of liquid <laughs> came out of that person that oh day. God. It was impressive. And, you know, experiences like that, it's not so much about, like, my ego. It's as it is, like, wow. Like, I was able to, like, do something that was really good for that person. And that's the... That is what makes me feel good like I'm doing something good I love that and it was intense but it was really you know I I learned a lot when I first came out as queer because I didn't know who you know what my type was and so I was like I went on a lot of dates I went on a lot of dates. I didn't have sex with everyone or whatever, but, you know, I learned a lot from the encounters that I did have. And I ended up staying friends with a few of them. And I think that's just kind of queer culture. But I came out in the Bay Area, and so I was in a pretty rich area for choice, mm. <laughs> I would say, and experience. And... So I was able to learn, pick some stuff up, but for the most part, I feel like I'm just there for what's going to make my partner, take my partner over the top. Mm. So pretty much whatever that is, is interesting to me because I don't think sex is fun unless I'm pleasuring my partner. Mm Mm-hmm. I can't, I could never just be like having the time of my life while my partner was starfished on the bed. That would only if they were like, that's their kink. (laughs) If that was their kink or if they were, you know, I'm binding and that's why you're starfished on the bed. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having sex for me feels very much like facilitating pleasure and not in a way that's like separate from myself, but like, I feel like a conduit. Mm. I think that's like I I connect something to some sort of energy that I bring in like as a conduit. I will say that as my first queer experience, well, not my first, my first sober one, and my first experience with your type of anatomy, Mm -hmm. below the belt anatomy, the T-dick. <laughs> Let's just name it. 
tea dick. I didn't have any worries or doubts that I would enjoy being the one to do the things to you, whatever you allow me to do. So you're not into all the things, <laughs> but you let me do one thing. <laughs> and the first time that happened, actually no, scratch that. Well, no, the first time you let me do that, I was so nervous that I was gonna do terribly and that you were gonna hate it. And then I'm like still learning about your bits and what feels good, what works for you, what won't work for you, and like not feeling bad if I don't get you there. Because mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't happen. I hope that you enjoy the ride, <laughs> even though we don't always get to the destination, you know? Yeah, I mean, I will say when we first got together, in the back seat of your car? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I could tell that, like, you were, like... Had only ever sucked dicks. <laughs> yeah, like, a, like a, a needle dick that... And, like, the the way that you approached it and everything was very much like, this is, like, what I feel like a guy would like. Yeah. I have also looked at blogs and stuff. Well, like, so, what do I do to make sure that they don't feel dysphoric while I'm right, down there? Right. And I, like, I wasn't bothered or anything. It was just like, oh, yeah, this is, this is, like, what a, what a guy would want for a blowjob. Like, but because my anatomy is very sensitive, mm-hmm. like, having, I would say just for... Anyone who ends up listening who is getting with someone who has a tea dick is very sensitive. And, you know, tips that I would give would include, like, making sure there's a lot of um, lube or, like, if you're using your mouth, a lot of saliva. Mm -hmm. Like, making sure there's a lot of, like, saliva on your tongue and not, like, going straight for, like, the sensitive, like, head right away and like working up to it that's just for I mean it's going to be different for everyone but those are just some of my my tips for that I didn't have I you know my first like blowjob that I got with you know after being on tea was definitely different than like someone going down on me Mm pre-tea Because the anatomy changed and also just like the motion of it and everything was different. And, you know, that partner had been with trans guys before. Mm. So she knew kind of how to do that on a tea dick, Mm -hmm. you know. And I didn't, I didn't know what to tell her how to do that. She just knew Mm because she'd already done it to that kind of anatomy. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was, it was nice to not, but the first time that she touched me like with her hands and like her fingers inside of me, like I was definitely triggered and it wasn't that I, you know, I said she could, it wasn't that she did it without asking, but you know, I was up for trying it and then it was immediately like, 
I started to dissociate and Mm. I needed to stop. And, you know, sex can be really amazing. It can be really scary, too. It can be intimidating. But as long as you want to get it right, that's what matters. I get it right sometimes. (laughs) Not every time. Well, and, you know, I can take a long time. And that just is a thing. And the longer I take, the more I get in my head. Sometimes you take five minutes. And those are big victories in my life. (laughs) And when I do get you there, I feel so good. It makes me so happy. It's the hottest thing ever to make you come. It's great. (laughs) I feel bad when I don't. Why do you feel bad? Because I know that it makes you feel bad. And I know that I would feel bad if... I, if, like, I couldn't make you come. But it doesn't make me feel bad for me. It makes me feel bad that you're, like, overstimulated and tired and being in the same position for a long time is uncomfortable for you. And it's, like, all that time and at the end of it, like, you're not, you didn't come. (laughs) Like, was it worth it? Because you didn't get there. I couldn't get you there. I mean, I've had times where, like, I'm jerking off and I know exactly what I want and I can feel what I'm doing and everything from the inside and still have times where, like, I just can't get there. Or I do and it's, like, so small Mm. that I'm like, all that? (laughs) All that for for that? that. (laughs) So, but for me, like, I don't feel like I need to have like a physical orgasm every time we have sex because like especially I think when we're using like the straps there's like a gender euphoria there Mm. and like it feels really amazing even if I can't feel it like actually because it's a you know it's like a dildo and not mine it still feels amazing and hot to have sex with you that way and can be satisfying in a whole different way Mm. you know Mm -hmm. so like there are days where I'm where I'm like I would just want to fuck you with the strap on and I don't need you to do anything else I just want to do that with you or like go down on you for like three hours 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 and hours hours and hours no complaints but it is it's life changing (laughs) it's definitely life changing to have unmasked sex with someone for the first time ever in my life and to not fake it i don't even know what i would do if you faked it with me you'd probably know be like what was that what was what were you performing just now (laughs) are you done with that fake shit (laughs) (laughs) you would immediately know if I wasn't into it at all. I mean, yeah, I feel like that's kind of one of the beauties of someone who has similar anatomy. You kind of know the signs, generally, of what feels good and what doesn't, like, do much, if anything. Like, especially if you have your hand (laughs) inside. your elbow inside someone. (laughs) Your, you know, wrist deep in someone and... And, like, if I say something that you like, like, I feel the reaction Mm. of your body. 
you know? Oh, wow. Like, I can feel when, like, if I'm talking dirty to you, like, I can feel the increase in the in the wetness. I can feel, I can feel, like, like, to go back to fisting especially, because a lot of that has, has you know, to do with making sure there's a lot of lube and a ton of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you need to be relaxed for that to go as deep as it does mm-hmm. and part of that is making sure that you're like consistently turned on that you can stay relaxed because that's what makes it soft and lubricated for you to receive a fucking fist you know like <laughs> it's tight it's a tight thing so if you're not turned on it's just like not even with lube I don't I wouldn't get in there it just would not happen (laughs) so like I know the you know I know some things that work for you now and if you are starting to get a little bit out of it I can tell because I can feel it you don't like dry up but the like there's definitely an an increase in moisture when like I'm saying or doing something to stimulate you Wow. And, you know, and then when you orgasm, you know, the, the muscle contractions are obvious. My hand to sleep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> the grip. But it's hot. And I feel like I know a little bit of, you know, how it might feel for you. Because I have similar anatomy, at least pre-T and similar anatomy. And I feel like that helps me kind of connect to what would potentially feel better than maybe someone who didn't have the same anatomy you know Mm -hmm. just spots that you kind of know about you know Mm -hmm. you just might not if you didn't have like a vagina you know is there anything that we've done that has been like new for you that has been surprisingly enjoyable for you or anything that you wouldn't want to do again i think every every time we've been together it's been enjoyable and like it gets better every time hope that never peaks (laughs) it's just like keeps going like well i mean to talk about kinks like i definitely have like a cum kink that I think comes from maybe not being able to produce my own. Mm. I don't think the real stuff is very exciting. Like when I'm watching porn and stuff, I would rather see the fake stuff. Mm. That's like very obviously pretty, you know, like, cause it's the amount of it is not realistic or, Mm. you know, the texture of it or whatever isn't. You're the first person I've been able to like try that with. For context, an ejaculating... An ejaculating dildo. Yeah. Yeah. But even if I didn't have the dildo, you know, like, we could still do the lube, like, in other ways or whatever. But being able to, like, come in you and, like, the mess that it makes. You love the mess. fucking love it. And I, (laughs) like, I, I always... I always kind of knew I I thought it was really hot even before I came out like I I thought it was hot not not the real stuff not the real stuff but you know like I didn't I didn't I didn't know before I came out that I thought it would be hot to come in someone not the other way around you mm-hmm. know um 
And the reality of it is so fucking hot. It's ridiculous. And I feel so comfortable with you and sexy with you that like being able to just be open about it and Mm -hmm. be like, this is hot. And I love it. I love to make (laughs) make a big mess of you. It's so hot. Like it's brain meltingly hot. And the look on your face the first time we tried it, you looked like you were in heaven. Like you reached <laughs> another dimension. <laughs> yeah, and it was probably, hot to see you that excited. I probably did because it was like I had never been able to do that before, even if it wasn't like real, you know. Mm-hmm. And then for you to be like, it's still coming out of me later. And I was like, <sighs> <laughs> I. Oh my god, like my brain can't even. So, it's it's amazing. Like, I mean, I admitted to having that kink, I feel like with my first girlfriend. Mm. And she would kind of like joke about it sometimes, not in a way that I felt like she was making fun of me, but kind of like just like I know that you think that's hot. Kind of. Like she was like, "I'm late." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, She's like, you didn't knock me up, baby. And I was like, <sighs> you know, but I don't know. I I think it's really hard. I actually know a lot of trans people have like a breeding kink, mm. whether they're trans mask or trans femme. There's, and I think that there's maybe something about like the inability to actually do that to whether it's getting someone pregnant or getting pregnant because you don't have that anatomy. Mm. You know, I think there's a certain factor there. Like, if I could just, like, snap my fingers and have a dick that could do that, like, I probably would. But, you know, that's not to say I would want to be getting someone pregnant, like, (laughs) constantly. That would be crazy. (laughs) Crazy on. (laughs) But. (laughs) No, you did not I that would be wild. I my one good ovary just quivered. <laughs> <laughs> just like I don't know. I I think it's it's hot. It's messy. It's joyful in a way that is just very like I don't know. I think something about pleasure just being about itself. Like, the purpose of pleasure is itself. And it's easy for some people to then, I think, dismiss it as not important because it's like there is no other reason for pleasure other than for pleasure, you know? It's joy. It's indulgence in something that is joyful Um, or should be, you know? Should be for both parties. Yeah. And if you are able to, like, just indulge each other in something that is really hot and because just because it's hot. Just because it's hot. And to be like, okay, let's do it or let's try it. And then it's just for its own sake. Society sort of teaches women and girls that our pleasure isn't supposed to be centered. Yeah. We center men's pleasure. And if we don't come every time, something's wrong with us. If we don't enjoy it, something's wrong with us. 
if we take too long to come, something's wrong with us. And I'm still kind of unpacking that. Yeah. Like, not being able to squirt every time. Like, that bothers me. Do you feel like I expect it? No. Okay. That's good. Because I don't want you to feel that way. But it's like a thing in my head. Because I was able to squirt once with my first real boyfriend with lots of toys and lots of time. Never just like straight up having sex and then it would never happen like that. But after a while, I wasn't really able to do it again. Probably because I was in my head because we were in a shitty relationship and it wasn't fun. And like when the initial honeymoon phase kind of wore off and the reality of the relationship settled in. Yeah. I was never able to do it again with him. By myself, 30 seconds. I'm a mess. <laughs> nice. <laughs> By myself, I'm able to do it whenever I want to. But with people, it doesn't always happen. What were we doing when you squirted? Because you've only squirted once with me. Um, Except for maybe like a little bit of a dribble. I'm a gush. dribbler. <laughs> dribble gush. <laughs> um... The first time I squirted with you was the second time you fisted me and I was using the rose mm-hmm. at the same time. And we were at it for a little while before I busted out the rose. Not sponsored, by the way, but <laughs> <laughs> if the rose wants to sponsor this podcast, I would love a second one. Yeah, I think it's so I hear the third Squirter. The first one was the first person I fisted, and that was the only time we had sex. We remained kind of like acquaintances for a while, but... If I had sex with someone for the first time and they made me squirt, we would not be acquaintances. I'd be like, marry me. (laughs) I would be your stalker from there on out. Well, in queer circles, you know, fisting and, like, squirting and, like, all of that is just kind of, like... Just a Tuesday? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't say for me it's a Tuesday, but I would say for a lot of queers it's a Tuesday, you know? For me it's, like, still kind of novel, but, Mm -hmm. um, the yeah, I mean, the first person I was with, like, just towels and towels and towels, like, soaked. And it was probably so hydrated. And it was, I was like, I don't even know where all that liquid was like stored in your body. I drink way too much soda. <laughs> but like, you know, and, and then the second person I was with who was a squirter, there was, you know, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I thought it was amazing, but it was also really like, there's so much liquid, like every time. It made such a huge mess. And, like, we went through a lot of towels. As that relationship dwindled, the mess became more of a burden to me than a turn-on. Because I was resentful about other stuff. Yeah. And it became, like, kind of exhausting to have sex with that person. Mm. Not because they were a squirter, but just because other things in the relationship kind of affected how I felt about our sex life. Mm. Yeah. So, um, That's typically how that goes. Yeah. And I felt like they wanted things from me that I, I was like, do you want me or do you want this thing? You know, like I didn't always feel like they were dating me so much as like a sex toy sometimes Mm -hmm. so you know 
That's got to be kind of a slippery slope, though, identifying as a service top and, like, feeling used by partners. Right. I think that there is, you know, it's kind of like, do you, are you in love with being in love or do you love the person you're with? It's kind of like, are you, do you like me or do you like what I'm doing for you? And, and I think that can affect the way that I feel sometimes depending on other factors like you know do I feel like you care about if I am okay as well like after our experiences like the first time I felt like a sex toy was when I felt like she just cared about getting off and like moving on to whatever she wanted to do and it wasn't a connective experience I felt used Mm. and it was an energy um, that just felt like you're just here to get off because you know that I can get you off and versus like being in a relationship with someone that feels mutually respectful and like you have good communication and a good rapport and sex is enjoyable because you're connected like servicing you is good it feels good because I know that we are connected and I know that you care about me too Mm -hmm. and not just how I make you feel I think it's like I want you to use me but not too much (laughs) I want to be I mean I think it's just like any, like a, you know, someone who's like a sub in a sub-dom relationship, you know? Like they, a lot of subs want to be like used, but like in a specific, within those specific parameters with understanding of boundaries, with understanding of like, I'm giving you my power so that you can use that power to do me correctly, you know, (laughs) to like not giving up your power to that person so that they can just take it Mm -hmm. and not give you what you're seeking in return like that's an exchange right if you're just giving it away and they're just taking it then you're not you're not having like an exchange of energy Mm -hmm. which i feel like good sex is about an exchange of that energy. 